right, Trinity Church, can we thank the worship team? What a great job, week in, week out, just helping us be able to do exactly that same idea, being preoccupied with who Jesus is and getting our heads, our hearts around uh, really the one who deserves our greatest attention. So we're really glad that you're joining us today on this 23rd day of August. A welcome to you and uh, for those watching live in all kinds of different environments, those who will be watching this later today or throughout the week, we just wanna welcome you and we're glad that you're here with us. You join us today in week four, the final week of a series called Critical Convictions. Kinda got a question mark at the end, asking the question, what should be the things that really I have the deepest type of convictions about, and what are the things that instead I should hold much more loosely. And we've been walking through these different kinds of handles, buckets, uh, categories, <clears throat> to be able to help us understand what kind of priorities should I be putting on things, not necessarily according to my opinion or according to the opinions of others, but based on the clarity of scripture. That's really been our hope. So we're really glad you're joining us. If you have a Bible today, you can open it to Romans chapter 14. Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament. Find your way to chapter 14, where we'll be kind of parking there today. And if you have either notes that you've printed from our website, or uh, as Bill mentioned earlier, if you have our app, you can go to the notes section under resources and digitally kind of include those and follow along, and uh, we're excited for that. Well, a couple of things. We kind of start weekly with some maybe yay God things. One thing I just want to thank God for is our administrative team. They've just done a great job. We've gotten this year in 2020 on Rails to provide for you quarterly giving statements. So those came out this last week, and those are up through the month of June. And so we're grateful for their hard work and being able to just kind of keep you aware of kind of where your giving's at at Trinity. Along with that, we wanted to let you know it's been exciting. The last couple of weeks, we have been full steam ahead, kind of uh, designing a task force to be able to give special attention to areas here around our campus that we can enhance for more outdoor gatherings. And as the weather is going to begin, we hope, we're still in August, so it's hard to say that any cooling down has happened yet, but hopefully soon, uh, some of our outdoor spaces will be even more conducive during daytime hours and not necessarily just once the sun has gone down. So keep checking in with that. And the way that we are going to be able to fund those projects, those enhancements to our campus is through lines that we already have in our ministry fund, in our, in our general budget. So I just wanna encourage you, as you continue to give to that, those are the places from which we are planning on using funds to be able to enhance different things around our campus. You'll be hearing more about that. I'll be giving you updates on Wednesdays just to kind of keep you in the loop of where we're at. Well, like we said, you join us today in this new series of critical convictions as we're talking about these things related to these buckets, these different categories of how we understand what we're uh, to think of things in terms of their biblical value. We started out, we said the premise for this series was as we have been receiving on all kinds of fronts, these various messages all throughout this COVID season through the media, through social media, just pouring at you these ideas of this you need to value at a 10. 
We've just said number one, that's exhausting emotionally, exhausting just in terms of our time. But secondly, it's not even appropriate when it comes to a biblical grid for how we should value some things as more significant, having more value, having more biblical clarity than other things. And so as we've been walking through this series, that's been our goal. We love our EFCA, Evangelical Free Churches of America. Uh, this mantra we're known for is majoring on the majors. That's the, the subline even for this series. And within that, if we're going to be a people who major on the majors, we need to know what the majors are and live accordingly. And we'll also have to demonstrate what we would call a, a disciplined avoidance of not allowing minor issues to creep up and have more and more significance than they deserve. So what we've been doing, we've kind of based this series off of a, an article, uh, a lecture I remember hearing in seminary from one of my professors giving us these four categories, and let's review those a little bit today. We talked about things initially that are worth dying for. These are the essentials of the faith. We talked in week one, not only the orthodoxy of our uh, statement of faith, that is the same as that of our denomination, but we've also talked about the orthopraxy of above all, more important than anything else, love God and love each other well. Then the next week, we talked about things to divide over. We looked at a, a powerful narrative in the book of Acts, chapter 15, and we saw a group of Christians that were struggling with, is their faith a Jesus-only or a Jesus-plus kind of faith? And it really brought the early church to a crossroads where they really had to figure some things out. And what we saw was a powerful example of how the church could work together to not divide over something, but yet to make a definitive statement where it couldn't really be an agree to disagree kind of issue. Last week, we changed this D word from to debate about to dialogue about. We saw this powerful Greek word, dialegomai, and we saw that it's this idea of having really humble, loving, back and forth conversations, people who come to the conversation with questions and not all answers. And what are the kinds of topics that can fit in this category that we can have healthy discussion about? And today we finish off the series, Things to Decide On. That's what we're going to be discussing, and, and where the Bible really doesn't speak to these issues at all, but things that you and I deal with on a daily basis, we want to see how do we have that kind of attitude, not only to hold them loosely, but also to love each other well, where even our liberties might need to be curbed because we care so much about the other. So here's our now what statement of where we're diving in today. Because there are such a host of issues that others may or may not have liberty in, live with love as your primary attitude as you decide on things that don't have biblical clarity. It's a mouthful, but it's really what we're saying. There's a lot of liberty that the Bible affords for us, but within that, love needs to be the first posture, not my freedoms. Here's number one in your notes today if you're following with us. There are many gray areas in our lives that the Bible doesn't speak clearly about. There are many gray areas, and I'm gonna use that term synonymously today with things to decide on, and we'll hear a couple other types of phrases that um, people have generally called these, this category of things, but I call them gray areas. And uh, let's look, we're in Romans chapter 14. We're gonna begin in verse one, and we're gonna look together through through the first nine verses initially. It says, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters, and that phrase will come up more today. 
One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them both. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord, and whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. All right, well, there's a lot going on here as we start this off today, but um, what we wanted to say as we begin is just having this kind of clarity of what are we talking about? What about things in the Bible that, the, that um, actually in our daily lives that the Bible doesn't speak specifically to and say this is allowable or this is not? How are we supposed to walk that out and do that in a timely way? Now, Romans 14 was written 2,000 years ago in a very different culture to a very different group of people and in a very different place than where we are today. But I want to begin today by framing these issues in ways that really do relate to us. Some of the ones that I've told you before that over the course of my life, I have struggled with to understand the value and the biblical clarity of these issues. So let me give you a few that I think are some of our classic gray area questions that Christians can struggle with, maybe not even themselves personally, but in community. Things like tattoos or body piercings. Things like drinking alcohol, things like smoking. These would all be areas that I would say to you today are what we'd call gray areas because the Bible doesn't speak specifically to either endorse them or to refrain from them. But they're things, they're actions and attitudes in our lives, the behaviors that we might engage in. And, and what we're gonna talk about today is how do you make good decisions? How do you make wise decisions? Most importantly, how do you make loving decisions about your participation in things like these or not? And that's some of the things that we wanna talk about and highlight today. Now, uh, you've known from me, I've shared with you before, I don't remember whoever sat me down and said, Todd, this is how you know if someone is a Christian or not. But somehow in my legalistic mind as a kid, that's the group I just shared with you. Tattoos, drinking alcohol, and smoking, that's how you knew these people aren't Christians. Well, I gotta tell you, the Bible would say different. And more important than my attitudes as a 12-year-old is what the Bible has to say, and that's what we're gonna dive into. Now, for a little bit of context, let's go back. How many of you, I want you to think about this, how many of you were raised in homes maybe a generation ago, and these were the hot ticket items? These were the, the things that you don't get involved in if you were raised maybe in a strong, um, potentially legalistic Christian home. It could have been things like wearing makeup. It could have been things like playing cards. 
It could have been things like going to the movie house, okay, going to the movie theater. And for some, I know it was for my mom, listening to Elvis. Oh no, you've lost your mind. I can't believe how you've wandered over into sin. So these were from maybe a generation ago, those areas of gray areas that for some became very clearly black and white. But back again, does the, does the Bible specifically speak to any of those? And the answer is no, no it doesn't. So if you were to go back even a few years further back than Elvis, you would have the issues that we're talking about today uh, in the, that the Roman Christians were struggling with. We saw two particular ideas, pro or con, that of eating meat, on, or eating meat versus only eating vegetables, as well as that of the idea of having a particular day be more significant or more special than other days. Now it's interesting, here we are, we live in this part of the Inland Empire where we have friends. My across the street neighbor is a great friend who's a pastor at a Seventh-day Adventist church here in town. I love Mike and his family. And you know what's interesting is, Mike would see these things from one point of view, things that the Bible might not speak specifically to, and say these are things that we're going to uphold in terms of maybe not eating meat and regarding one day as more important or unique than another. And where I feel like I would have freedom to say, you know what, I think eating meat is acceptable to God and, and having multiple days be valuable to God rather than one is something that I have in my ability to have freedom and liberty. And the beauty is, is how Mike and Todd continue to have a great relationship and don't let that be a point of contention. That, that, is, that is not even just something 2,000 years ago, those specific issues, but they're ones that we live with right here in our area. So here's what are we to do? Here's the question. What are we to do when the Bible doesn't have strong clarity about a specific behavior or belief? And the point is this, we are to tread lightly. Look in your notes. In the void of biblical clarity, we must, according to Romans 14, neither be harsh with those who do not have the confidence of conscience to engage, nor be judgmental towards those who have the liberty to participate. This is really significant. In these areas where the Bible doesn't speak specifically to them, we must not be harsh with those who do not have the affordability, the clarity of conscience to participate, but we also cannot be judgmental towards those who have the freedom to engage. This is a huge point of where we're going today. I wanna to start by looking back at the article that we used to kind of frame this series from my professor, Gary Brashears. Look in your notes, this is what he had to say on that topic. He calls them, these are the adiaphora, that's the Greek word, adiaphora of Romans 14 and 15. And here he defines it, the areas of belief and behavior about which there is no law. So the Bible doesn't speak clearly to them. And this is powerful. This is where acceptance is a virtue and legalism a real danger. So Gary's article that's linked in, uh, on our webpage has this phrase in it, and he speaks to this idea, this is where acceptance is really significant, is a good thing, and we ought to be careful of legalism. 
I was doing some research getting ready for today, and also D.A. Carson has a great paper as well, an article that he wrote. He entitled it, On Disputable Matters. Let's see what he has to say. He says, these matters, the matters where Christians may safely agree to disagree, have traditionally been labeled adiaphora, that same word again, or indifferent things. So he's gonna call that, he's gonna define that a little differently. They are indifferent matters, why? In the sense that believing certain things or not believing certain things, adopting certain practices or not adopting them, and here's this delineation, does not keep a person from inheriting the kingdom of God. Okay, so two really helpful handles are presented in these two different articles. Dr. Brashears would say these are things um, about which there is no law. So the Bible doesn't speak to it with great clarity. And then D.A. Carson would say these are things that do not exclude you. They do not in prohibit you from being included in the kingdom of God if you were to engage or if you were not to. Now, if you've been a follower of Jesus for very long, you have maybe heard a little bit of these concepts. We've been maybe introduced to passages like Romans 14. And yet what has happened over time, and there is some real wisdom to this, if there is someone who looks at you and maybe you are living with an area of Christian liberty or freedom that they do not, and they would come and maybe in all the right spirit, all the right attitude, and lovingly confront you about it, they wouldn't have a particular place in the Bible that they could say, this is out of bounds, but they would be be able to pull a principle. They would take a principle from scripture and they would say, well, in this way, this is something that you need to apply to that situation. And there's a lot of wisdom, not only being able to receive that with humility, but being able to process it well. But I want to say to this side, as true as that is, there's another true reality there. And that is in these areas where we are going to take sometimes biblical principles that can really go all kinds of different directions and narrowly say, that's why this is something you shouldn't do. We need to be very careful because it's easy to become an accidental Pharisee along the way and create all these legalistic situations of what you can and cannot do. And I've shared this with you before. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand why do people become that way? And there's one really easy reason why. Simply that, it's easier. It's easier to live by a list of rules of do's and don'ts than to have to take the time to look in my Bible, to try to process in community with friends, and to be able to have a real breadth of understanding of scripture, to be able to know, is this something I have the freedom to engage, or is this something I should intentionally stay away from? That's harder, that takes a lot more time, a lot more effort, and a lot more energy. And so we have to be careful not to be those, in a sense I would call lazy thinkers, who instead of trying to really consider the issues, just say, please give me the list, because that's a lot easier way to live. And, and I think what we see in this category in particular, there is no list, but there are some great ways to think, and we'll see that as we process more together today. Now, part of the challenge as we confront some of these issues is that nobody comes to this topic or this category of topics uh, as a blank slate. Look at what the commentator Colin Cruz said. He said this. He said, those converted to Christianity in the first century, so the original audience of the book of Romans, um, did not come with their minds like empty slates. 
They had years of living in Judaism or in some pagan situation, and in the process had acquired deeply rooted habits and attitudes. They did some things, but avoided others. When they became Christians, all this did not drop away from them in a moment. It is people who brought from their previous life such habits of thinking and living of whom Paul is speaking. So uh, Cruz makes a great point here, and, and the reality was not just true 2,000 years ago, it's absolutely true today. The way that you were raised, the things that you knew to be true, maybe the lifestyle you lived before you put your faith in Christ, those things leave an imprintation. I just made up a word. They leave an imprint on us. And they help form and shape the way we think and our attitudes and our beliefs moving forward. And at times, they are what we're going to talk about today. Our conscience is another word we're going to use for that that's often informed by the various things that have happened to us or things we've engaged in in the past. Let me give you an example. For me, according to the passage we just looked at in Romans 14, when it comes to things like drinking alcohol, my faith is weak. My faith is weak. Here's what I mean by that. According to the passage we just read, I, I do not, and I'll explain why in a minute, I do not have the Christian liberty to have wine with my meal. And where that's really based on is a lot of the things that were true of me, the way I was raised, but also true of even some family history that don't allow me to have the freedom to engage where you very easily, with no thought, no second thought at all, can engage. And what I want to be careful to do today by even sharing that example is on the one hand, not to cause some of you to go, yeah, that's what our pastor believes, there we go. I didn't say that at all. I said, for me, my faith, according to Romans 14, is weak in that area, and therefore I cannot participate. Nor do I want those of you who have a faith that's strong in this area to feel somehow convicted or feel somehow as though you, there's something wrong with you. In no way am I communicating that. We have been in many of your homes, and as we have come for a, an evening meal, you've offered us wine, at which we have said, thank you, but no. And, and that's what we want to talk about today is what about even that particular situation when it's not only just something that I have as a, a way that I have decided on in this issue, but what about in the interaction with others? Well, wait, we'll get to that in just a second. Now, you might look at me and go, Todd, why is your faith that way related to drinking alcohol? And then as we begin talking, we might have a conversation where you have this real stigma, this real internal conscience problem with going to movies, to the, to the movie house. And, and I gotta tell you, as we begin having that conversation, I, I would just, in my own spirit, I would just think, man, what does the Bible say for me about going to an air-conditioned room with incredible leather chairs that recline back? I can eat all the popcorn that I want and see an amazing story unfold on a big screen. I can't wait till movie theaters open again. And, and here's the point. My point is not that I would argue with you about why there's no problem for Christians going to the movie theater. My point would be to simply say this that for all of us. One thing we have to be careful of today, there are no categorically strong Christians and categorically weak Christians. What we are is we have a strong faith related to Romans 14 that you don't have a conscience problem with engaging in an area, a gray area. We have a strong faith in certain practices and behaviors and attitudes. And in other areas of our life, we have a weak faith 
where due to conscience and due to other inhibiting reasons, even though we wouldn't say that it's sin for someone else to engage, we are not able to, otherwise we have a conflict, <clears throat> excuse me, internally in our conscience. So hear that well today. There are no categorically strong Christians or categorically weak Christians, but we are all strong in some areas and weak in others. And as a result, these are things that we have to navigate, and that's what makes such a challenge for us to be able to do that well and to do that in community. So um, as we process, we're going to pick up a couple themes in just a second. And as we do that, we'll see it, them extend into the next passage that we're looking at in Romans. Let's look at number two in your notes today. This is so important, and it's the thread that has gone through each of our four weeks together. My love for you will limit how I exercise my liberties in gray areas. My love for you is going to limit how I exercise my liberties in gray areas. Let's continue on at the passage. We're in Romans 14, verse 10. You then, the very next phrase out of where we left off, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ has died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Okay, so a lot going on in this part of the passage as well. This is a theme that was brought up in the initial part when we looked in the first nine verses of Romans 14, was that idea of who you give an account to. Who you are is truly your master. Is that one another or is that God? And that theme comes up a second time in the second part of the passage that we're not to, in a position to judge one another when they report directly to God. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the long history that you and I have with that. For some of us, uh, any of us that were raised in a home, in a family that had at least one other sibling, so you weren't an only child. And as an only child, you figured out pretty quick when you went to school or you went to other functions with other kids. But especially for those of us who grew up with siblings, it happened pretty quick. That there was something that your sibling did. It didn't necessarily mean that it was a, a, a right or a wrong moral issue. They just annoyed you. And you wanted to make sure that they stopped it, so you began to boss them around. You began to tell them, you can't do that. Stop it. It's driving me nuts. It needs to end. And you forgot really quickly that your sibling reported to your parent. That's the line of authority that was over them, not you as a fellow brother or sister. And the problem is it didn't just end there. 
We began to play on sports teams and we were irritated and felt like we wanted to boss around the person on our team who wasn't getting it together. Or in the workplace, we have a, a group of peers that we work with and, and the org chart is really clear. We report to someone else, but we wanna start treating someone like they report to us. And the same thing happens in the body of Christ that we quickly forget, like Paul's talking about here, that we don't give an account to one another in these areas of these gray matters, but we all, individually, we all report to the Father over us, not each other as siblings. So the root issue is the same. We've forgotten who reports to who, and we want people to somehow in these gray areas to be accountable to us. Uh, commentator again, Colin Cruz, he puts it this way, the strong often have a tendency to look down on the weak and regard them as inferior Christians, while the weak, knowing that it would be wrong for them, thinking as they do, to do something that the strong do, all too easily hold that the strong are sinning and slip into condemning them. This last line's important. Not infrequently, the weak is the greater tyrant. So he's using a double negative, let's say it another way. Often, the weak is the greater tyrant. That's what he's saying. So this is kind of a, a and he sees it, we see it from both sides. Both of these, the, the weak in a particular topic, the strong in a particular topic, like we started with today, they each have a challenge to not judge the other one poorly. And, and they're tempted to often. Now, one thing I wanna to say today, some of us are actually unaware that the Bible teaches that we actually will give an accounting of ourselves to our Heavenly Father. There are multiple places in the New Testament that talk about the fact that we will stand before God and give an account for our actions, give an account of the way that we have lived. The, the New Testament calls it the Bema Seat Judgment. And I, I showed you when Joanne and I went away on this study trip last uh, fall that um, this was the Bema Seat in the Agora of Corinth. And you'll note that it's raised up high in that marketplace area where life was, everyone did life in common there. Bema Seat Judgments, the judgments were made by someone who had the authority to decide between two citizens of Corinth, and these judgments were made, and they were in this elevated position, so all could see that's where justice is done. So when Paul's using this phrase, there's going to be this Bema Seat Judgment. Look what he says to the Corinthian church in his second letter, for we must all appear before the judgment or Bema Seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things we've done while in the body, whether good or bad. When there's multiple places, um, uh, oh, my brain is missing, First Corinthians 3 as well, speaks well to this idea of this kind of accounting that God is going to have for us, his people. So on the one hand, the reason why Paul's making such a big deal of that in Romans 14 is to say, you don't have an absentee father. You don't have a father who's unaware, and your brother or sister, if you believe that they are recklessly out of control in these gray areas, they give an account to him, not to you. And that's a powerful thing to understand. Um, I really want you to see this next part of this passage, this idea of a stumbling block, because that's really significant of what we're gonna unearth here a little bit. Um, this is what Paul says. He says there's a, a real definitive imperative verb. Do not put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. 
Now, um, if you've been around church at all for very long, you've heard that phrase before. You've heard people say, you know, I don't want to be a stumbling block to you, or I ought not put a stumbling block in your way. And so it's a little bit of an odd phrase, right? We don't use that in everyday culture that we live in. And if you're new to being a follower of Jesus, this might be the first time you've heard this phrase before. But the English translation of this Greek phrase in our New Testament Bibles, it actually really makes sense. It plays out really well. When you take the, the verb and the noun and put them together, it's literally what it means. Do, do take great effort to not put a, a, a boulder or a rock in the way of someone who is walking so that they would stumble. It, the, the onus is on you that you would be careful not to put something in front of their path that would cause them to stumble into a place of really, in this case, when we're looking at Romans 14, that would violate their conscience, that would cause them to have to go against what they believe is, is not something they could engage in or something that they, they believe they can uh, to, to instead cause them to have to struggle with that and even be tempted to make a choice against their conscience. Now, it's important to understand this idea of the, the import that Paul's making about going against one's conscience. Why is that so significant? In order to understand that in the letter to the Romans, we have to go all the way back to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, Paul is building a case for the idea that all people everywhere are sinful in their state apart from Jesus' redeeming work. He's made a big point in the earlier part of, or the later part of chapter two to talk about the law and that people who were under, understood and were aware of the law that was given to the people of Israel, they understood that they were rule breakers, they were sinners, transgressors, trespassers, because the law was perfect and they had violated it numerous times. But Paul makes the question, what about those who've never even heard of the law? What about people geographically where the law had never gotten to? Are they still accountable for their sin? And Paul makes a big deal to say yes, and the reason why they're accountable is for simply the fact that they violated their own conscience. Do they have the law that Israel had to know when they broke the law? No, but God has hardwired us all to have this internal understanding of morality, of right and wrong, and what he's referring to as a conscience. So when somebody violates their own conscience, doing something that they know is not right, people all over the world, everywhere, every generation, have understood personal sin, if only by the fact that they knew, I did something I know internally is not right. So if that's the barometer for understanding even what sin is for someone who doesn't have the law, someone's conscience is a very important part of who they are. I want you to see from D.A. Carson, he makes a great point about why violating our conscience, even in the gray areas, can lead to so many more challenges. This is what he says, if we violate our consciences when we think that we, what we are doing is wrong, and this is according to these it, disputable or indifferent matters, even though according to Paul, the action itself is not wrong, it just violates our conscience, then we will find it easier to violate our conscience when the envisaged action is wrong, with the result that our conscience will be less able to steer us clear of sin. 
That's powerful. So he's saying, even breaking our conscience in a gray area that at the end of the day is not even a sinful thing, but man, that domino effect can be significant when something is clearly stated in scripture and we've had no problem crossing over that threshold to do what we have understood to do something wrong. What I want you to see though, this is all kind of climaxing to this point. I really want you to see how love for one another is so central to this idea of not putting a stumbling block in front of someone's way. Did you catch the phrase that we read just a moment ago? Um, I've got a cool thing up on my uh, deal here that I don't know how to make go away, so we'll just keep talking and hopefully it'll work. If your brother or sister, let me read from my notes, is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. So that was the passage that we read from Romans 14. Now read on. It says, when you, talk, when you try to talk another Christian into violating their conscience in an area of your Christian liberty, when, when that becomes something that is your goal, then you have stopped loving them and are focused more on your freedoms, focused more on their freedoms than on their good. This passage really helps us understand that if your brother or sister is distressed because of something you eat, you're no longer acting in love. It's more important to not present an opportunity, a challenge for them, so that they might step over their conscience. It's more important not to do that and love them because of that than to engage in what you have the freedom and liberty to do. And that's this point. You've stopped loving them and you're focused more on your freedoms than you are on their good. That's why one of our core values is so significant on this issue related to what really guides us, what really demonstrates our DNA here at Trinity Church. And that's this, so we'll go back to it. It's the idea of what the Bible is to us, what it represents. The Bible is God's story given to transform you and to be the authority in your life. You see, it's the Bible's authority, not the version of the Bible that I want, not me taking gray areas and making them black and white. It's truly the authoritative word of God and the authority within the word, not in my impression of it or interpretation of it. That's really significant in these areas that I really see gray areas for what the Bible says they are. But watch, God's word is also given to transform you. That's where you begin to have a heart that cares more about loving others than you indulging in freedoms and liberties that the Bible says you are welcome to engage. Man, that's powerful if you think about that, where some of us love to run free and go, the Bible's given me liberty to do X, Y, and Z, and you do, and the Bible does. But when you're in proximity, when you're in community with other Christians, and, that, and you know, and here's the key, you know that's a violation for them and their conscience. It's when you take that out of the way and you go, I'm not gonna cause you to stumble. Why? Because I care about you. I love you this much. I wanna say a little bit, let me give you a couple real world examples of what this looks like. I remember the first time this happened to me with great clarity was when I was uh, just beginning, I hadn't even really begun classes as a college freshman. I'm 18 years old, I have a car, and we're taking a group of people over to the beach. I think we went to Malibu, and we had this great day of all these incoming freshmen and our, our leaders who were helping us get to know each other. I had this great group, about dozen young men and young women that were in my group. We're having a blast together. And I remember on the way there, I offered to take a friend who was in my group to the beach. He didn't have a car, and he jumped in, and we drive. 
And as we're going, I just have the radio on, just top 40 stuff we're listening to. And we're not very far into the drive, and he looks at me and he says, hey, Todd, would you mind changing the channel? And, and at first I remember thinking about it going, well, that's an odd request. You just not like this song or this genre. But it was really powerful where he didn't even need to say anything more. He went on to say, when I hear that kind of music, it just reminds me of who I was before I put my faith in Christ. This guy had only been a Christian for a year or two. And it reminds me of all those things that I did that I associate with that song and that kind of music. And I gotta tell you, that was just so powerful for me to hear. Where I maybe had the freedom to drive my car and listen to top 40 music on the radio, that was a huge stumbling block for him. And guess what, I would have never known that had he said nothing. And he would have sat there, just kind of his own spirit, wrestling with coming back to these memories that haunted him. That would have been such a horrible experience. I was so grateful he spoke up. And in the minute he spoke up, the radio turned off. You see, it didn't have to be a conversation or a debate of, hey, I can listen to whatever music I want to. It was quickly to say, hey, absolutely, I'm so sorry I didn't know that about your life, your story. Turn off the radio and enjoy a great conversation on the way to the beach. I'm not giving myself a pat on the back for that attitude. That seems like pretty basic humanity 101, and especially for us in the family of God, how we ought to treat one another. What would really be loving would have been on the way home. We had a different group of people who drove with us, and I think he went in a different car. But on the way home, if it was just him and me again, to immediately get in the car and not turn the radio on or find something that was not evidentiary of bringing up those things in his life. That's what it means to put my love for my friend over my liberty that I can enjoy myself. Now let's answer that question. I had told you earlier today, by way of example, that I have a a, a weak faith related to drinking alcohol. And I said that I've been in some of your homes and we've been over for dinner, you've been so gracious and you'd offered us alcohol. Can I tell you with great clarity, you did not put a stumbling block in front of me. I want you to hear that with great clarity today. And what you heard us say was the truth. We're very happy to have you engage and you enjoy, we're, we're just gonna pass. And, and that's also a way every type of Christian liberty doesn't have to be where no one else in the room can engage. Just please don't put me in a position where I am kind of forced to or it looks like I have to. That's the difference. So there can be a time, I am very comfortable when we go out to dinner and we're together and if you wanna order a beer or if you wanna have wine with your dinner, I have no problem. And I've been with multiple settings with you, with guys from my um, small group, for instance, where we'll go get dinner together, the five or six of us, and it's a zero problem for me. But I just want you to know those are different ways that we have to kind of work that out together to be able to say what matters most is my love for you. That's got to be the highest value when I engage these different types of gray areas. I want you to not miss today the magnificent thread of love that has gone through every single one of these four weeks. Week one, we saw the orthopraxy bigger than anything else, more significant in any behavior, love, eat, love God and love each other well. Don't miss that, right, that's huge. Week two, what we saw in this, really what could have been a very contentious outcome in Acts 15, we saw those whose view was not supported. This was not an agree to disagree level of issue. It needed to be decided on. But we saw these four concessions 
that were made for those who were really struggling with the decision that demonstrated a sense of love and a sense of care rather than saying winners take all, losers to the curb. That was a powerful thing to see in that passage. Last week, when we saw this idea of having this dialogue, in order to have a humble, loving dialogue in Ephesians 4, I'm called to speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. That's always got to be my posture, my countenance. And here, as we see in Romans 14 today, the attitude I need to have towards you is that I'm not gonna engage in my liberties if they cause a problem for you. I love you more than my own freedoms. So we've seen love be this thread that goes through everything else. And I love that. I hope in this series, if there's nothing you remember, I hope that's the one thing you catch and grab hold of, is loving one another over any of these categories and any of the ways we relate, loving each other matters most. Finally today, number three in your notes, when considering gray areas with one another, keep your eye on what truly matters. When considering gray areas with one another, keep your eye on what truly matters. This is how we finish up Romans 14 and into chapter 15. It says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat. That's what we talked about. If you cross that line of conscience, you're condemned if you eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Whoops. So... Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat. Oh, I think we're repeating that same part, aren't we? Because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Now we begin chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. Why? For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance of the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And here's the last verse for today, verse five. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other, that of Christ Jesus, that, that that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a powerful passage this is that gives us such great handles, such great clarity, and just reminds us of the things that truly matter. We become blinded to the majors, when we get so focused on the minors. We become blinded on the things that have great value when we get caught up in liberties that have little value. And that's how I wanna finish our time together today. Do not destroy, this is in your notes, the eternal work of God for something temporal. Do not destroy the eternal work of God for something temporal, something that's not gonna last, in this case, for food. Eating meat or drinking wine, don't destroy what God is doing in that other person over these small, nothing types of issues, liberties that you may have, but you should curb out of love for those you might be around. 
I wanted to say the people who I respect and I'm so grateful who get this so much are global workers. You might have noticed in this series, I've referenced them at least two or three times in the ways that they have had to learn to major on the majors and to minor on the minors. And in this area in particular, think of some of our global workers who have intentionally had to say, man, in the culture that I'm in, I have great freedom. I could do these things, but my culture that I'm, I'm serving in and being an influence for Jesus in is much more conservative or is much more uh, legalistic in these areas. So I'm not going to engage my liberties because I want to reach these people and I don't want to put a stumbling block in front of them. Others of them live in places where it's absolutely that liberty is expressed all the time. And it might be something that they, in, as they were growing up here in the States, like me, they had a weak faith in certain areas. And they realized, you know what, I'm actually going to do more harm by not engaging in this, in this particular culture and, and looking as though someone who's aloof, someone who is snotty, someone who doesn't want to be a part of the people by not engaging in this area that is a gray area. I'm not saying that they cross into areas and engage where there's black and white absolutes in scripture, but where there's liberty, they did not even have that liberty prior to moving to that place, but so badly want to be engaged in people's lives and not hinder that in any way. I think of some of the ladies that are global workers connected to here, us here at Trinity. And I think that they grew up and have no qualm about wearing shorts or having bare arms, but they live in a part of the world where those things are absolutely no-nos for the way that women carry themselves and the way that women act if they're going to be respected and if they're going to be really just an acceptable part of that culture. These women that we have sent all around the world, they curb and they limit those freedoms, even though they believe there's no sin in wearing shorts or having bare arms, but I could not do that here and be effective for Christ, and that matters most. Look at the second concept. Keep these to decide on matters between you and God. You saw us read that. I read the same passage twice, so I don't want to overemphasize, but it came up twice uh, throughout our whole time today. Keep these things between you and God. Don't go announcing all the things that you have freedom to do and then cause others challenge and, and again, putting that stumbling block in front of them uh, because of your thoughtlessness of, of carrying on and making a big deal. Some of the times what I think happens is the reason we get lost in these conversations is because we're asking the wrong questions. We're, we're asking the questions often is, how do I get to maximize my freedoms? But maybe what we ought to ask more, does this help me know and follow Jesus better? This particular belief or this particular behavior. Does this help me better think and consider the things that are lovely and aligned with the goodness of God? What does that look like? Does this thing help me maintain and greater develop community with my Christian brothers and sisters? Does this help me better influence and, and, and develop my calling to be an influencer for Jesus in my relational world? Does this bring greater glory to God? this particular belief, this particular behavior. These are all the right kinds of questions we should be asking, but seem to rarely do. Finally today, the third, living like Jesus and majoring on the majors allows us to glorify God together, together, not this kind of um, Lone Ranger faith, but as a community, allows us to glorify God together with one mind and one voice. My hope is in this series that this has been an opportunity for you 
to walk away with some better handles in a world that is screaming at you, these need to be the things that matter most. My hope is that you've been able to have some categories, some buckets, as it were, to put different topics to know how important they are, not related to me, but to the word of God. My hope is also that you've picked up on the fact that what we as a local church are called to, more important than anything else, is that we love one another. And in loving one another, we will find a way to walk through these issues well together. Let me pray. Father, we come before you today as a people who simply want to honor you with our lives. We want to live in community in a way that pleases you. We want to live in different relationships, God, where we don't forsake, we don't miss out on the things that matter most. But instead, God, we want to indeed major on the majors. And as we've seen today, majoring on the majors has a lot to do with the idea of how we actually would be free to give up our liberties rather than engage them for the good of those around us. So help us today, God, help us as we process these. Help us know the issues that we're facing in the media and in social media, in politics, in our community. Help us know what boxes these go in. Help us know what categories these fall in. And then to act appropriately, always, always founded in love. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us first. And we pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen.